1: Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 39, we discuss our opinions about NBC's opening weekend of Premier League coverage, as well as our thoughts on Premier League Pass, how much of an impact the championship can have on ESPN3, Kartik's insights regarding VAR after meeting with Howard Webb, plus news about ESPN launching a new paid streaming product, Plus, we have feedback from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, AKA The Gaffer, and I'm joined today by Kartik Krishnaya, co host. How are you, Kartik? I'm doing well, thanks. All right. So it's, it's been uh, actually we, we skipped last week's pod uh, partly to recharge the batteries uh, before the big uh, Premier League weekend. But also because uh, we had the uh, the interviews that we had with the John Champion, Taylor Twellman, Sebastian Salazar, Hercules Gomez and Steve Hallezy. So we wanted to uh, give the listeners a little bit of a break and also a chance to catch up on listening to those interviews. But uh, in terms of this weekend, context, so let's start off with the NBC broadcast of the Premier League, it's back now, and uh, fifth season, and uh, for the first weekend, they went to England. What was your thoughts uh, overall in terms of the coverage uh, from this past weekend?
0: I guess it was neat to start the season there, uh, but... and. As always, Robbie Musto, very good. Kyle Martino, very good. Robbie Earl, very good. And and, uh, Lee Dixon and Graham Lusso, a little bit different feel in the studio. Lee Dixon, always outspoken, always very uh, on point. Same thing with with Graham Lousseau. I do think, though, that it it kind of came across as a promotion for the league, right? As as almost, if you will, propaganda for the league. Because I think the... um, Analysis that you saw this weekend, there were some some finer points about tactical play, substitutions, maybe mis- other sorts of mistakes. But those sorts of things were, um, to me, uh, more glossed over on NBC's coverage this weekend than they were in other quarters in the written press, on Twitter, on ESPN FC, uh, because. Uh, I know there are a lot of people who are rah-rah Premier League uh, and think it's, it's the greatest uh, show on earth. And, and from an entertainment standpoint, it very well might be. But I think the, the quality of play certainly deserved to be critiqued this, this first weekend. And uh, it was being critiqued just about everywhere but NBC, mm-hmm. which uh, yeah. to me is, is, is a concern. And then I'll get, into my, uh, I'll get into a little discussion of Arsenal versus Spurs and, and the perceptions of Arsenal and Spurs uh, uh, based on network in, in a little bit.
1: Yeah, if I could uh, think of one word to describe NBC's uh, broadcast from this past weekend, I'd say underwhelming. And it's tough, though, too, because we hold NBC to such high standards now that uh, it's hard for them to to continue to make, uh, to raise the bar and achieve more than what they've already done. So even by saying that NBC is underwhelming in comparison to, you mean? ESPN, in, in comparison to Fox Sports, BN Sports, you go down the list. NBC is so far beyond in terms of the level of, of analysis and coverage for the most part. I mean, there's different areas that have uh, different networks that are better than others. But uh, it was one of those things that um, I think in some ways it was a mi- not, not a mistake. It was great to see them there for the opening weekend. But so much of the discussion, so much of the topics were centered around the transfer window that you didn't get any sharp analysis. And actually, it's the first weekend, so how much kind of uh, really great, crystal clear uh, analysis could you even get from the opening weekend? It's just the first the first games. So you're not going to get any kind of um, just incredible analysis where you... St- like you've done in previous seasons where you go, wow, Carl Martino or the two Robbies or whoever it was, they were on point on that one and they really hit the nail on the head with some sharp analysis. So it did feel like a, a, a kind of a, a promotional tour and um the best example or the worst example of that i guess was the manchester united game against West Ham united and i thought manchester united had a fantastic performance i thought they they, they was one of the be- best games i've seen them play in a long long time but at the same time nbc went way over the top in terms of uh the praise for United in this game and I think in many ways it was more about West Ham United more about the opponent
0: I mean West Ham West Ham looked miserable well, well, I think that's my comes back to my point that uh, Manchester United were the only team that really looked good this weekend in my opinion by a continental European standard let's again look at the, the ability of the Premier League and Premier League clubs to compete at a high level in Europe which they haven't been able to do the last few years Manchester United was the only team that looked the part now it is the first weekend of the season but I I think in comparison to the other, what they had seen on Friday and Saturday from the other allegedly top sides. Yeah, you can go over the top with Manchester United, but there was no real perspective on it. The perspective is, look, Chelsea didn't look good. Manchester City didn't look good for 70 minutes. Arsenal was terrible. Set-piece defending. Liverpool, again, blew another game. Spurs uh, were were a little bit better. Uh, Everton struggled at times until they moved Calvert-Lewin into central midfield. Uh, into kind of a central attacking position and really played well the last 30 minutes. Um, That's the analysis I wanted, basically Manchester United compared to the other top sides. But I don't think there was that context Mm -hmm. that you normally get from NBC and they have those commentators and analysts that are super sharp normally. Uh, Yeah, you're right. It was underwhelming. And and again, I think it felt like a fluff propaganda promotional piece for for a league that um, really doesn't need that kind of promotion, because they're the best at promoting themselves uh, of any sporting league on the planet, probably.
1: Yeah, and and, and that's been one of our biggest criticisms, too, of Fox, where they do kind of uh, exaggerate. They do play up things. They do kind of, uh, even if it was a boring 0-0 game, the analysis post-match was like, wow, that was a really entertaining game. I mean, soccer fans are smart enough, and and the viewers are smart enough to see right through those things. And, and, And again, United did very well. It was just West Ham was so bad in this match, Karthik. And I, and I think that what NBC is looking at in terms of trying to improve their ratings, because they know that um, after last year, it was down, what, about 15%. So they know that Manchester United is their best ticket uh, to improve uh, and in- increase TV viewership yeah. numbers this, this season. And I think they're going from the, this first weekend all in on United, and especially, too, with um, Saturday, they got United and, in the and I think game. I guess-
0: they they need, they need to because you mentioned the TV ratings they're overall were down 15% last year, although uh, uh, Steve uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Pierre Moisa was very uh, adamant in, in on a call we had with him last week in, in uh, insisting that that was uh, kind of uh, pre-a certain time in the season, and he's right if you look at it. So um, the second half of the season, the ratings weren't down 15%. But um, NBC has had this unfortunate, as much as they've done to grow the the sport and the, uh, and, and the footprint of the Premier League in this league. They've had this unfortunate uh, coincidental timing where the year they got the ratings was uh, the year they got the packages for the Premier League was the year Sir Alex Ferguson moved away. And mm-hmm. the very first year Manchester United seventh. And it's been seventh, uh, fourth, fifth, uh, uh, fifth sixth since then. So I, I think they feel like they need to ride that horse. And I, and I completely Get that. Um, at the same time, and maybe we'll get into this in a minute. But I, I um, and this might be on ESPN, but the level of ana- the analysis and the preseason expectation for two clubs in particular, Arsenal and Spurs, are so radically different between the co-commentators and, and studio analysts on NBC versus the studio analysts uh, on ESPN that it's uh, it's a little bit shocking because they've, they've come up with completely different interpretations of uh, of the two of uh, the same two teams uh, both of whom happen to play in North London so when we okay. will get into that
1: yeah yeah we'll get into that in a little bit I, it's one of those things that I, I look back at um, in terms of what NBC has done on previous trips to England and part of the I think part of the um underwhelming aspect of this particular weekend to Karthik was that they're in massive stadiums. They're in the Emirates, they're in the, the Amex Stadium, and they're in Old Trafford. And in previous seasons, we've had it where they've been at Turf War and you see the background of the kind of the Lancashire Hills. Yeah. Uh, and then you had White Hart Lane in terms of, you mean, being there for, for just almost the last game of the season and just that old quaint stadium too. So I think it just felt very... Commercialised. It just felt very. It didn't. You didn't feel the authenticity of, of English soccer. The other thing, Cardiff, I would say too is that um, I thought that Kyle Martino did a fantastic job personally as the co-commentator on the Arsenal Leicester game. Uh, I thought he was really, really sharp on that one. I am getting tired of Arlo White. Um, yes, he's a great. Well, yes, he's uh, a great advertisement for the the Premier League in terms of saying all the right things. But I, I thought this past weekend, Kartik this is a, bef- a perfect example of how we were missing Steve Bauer. Because I think Arlo White's pitch side studio isn't that good. I mean, it's, it's almost kind of it's when it's him and, say, Lee Dixon or Robbie Earle, it's almost like a very kind of chummy slapstick kind of patting on each each other on the back kind of laughing kind of situation and I miss Steve Bauer and I miss Steve Bauer in those situations where let's put Arlo back up in the commentary uh, in the gantry but let's have Steve Bauer asking those tough questions or being a better host
0: uh, pitch side Uh, there weren't there weren't weren't any tough questions asked this weekend. That's another thing. I mean, look, uh, uh, the people who think we're overly critical of Fox and and in love with NBC might be very surprised to hear at least my tone, your tone too, I think, on this pod, but it was very Fox-like. I mean, I think the level of presenter, when you talk about Rebecca Lowe, she, she is better than Rob Stone. When you talk about uh, Arlo white, he's better than that, than his, maybe his, his, uh, well, I don't think he's better than John strong actually. So this a bad comparison, but, um, it, the, 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 co- the, level of co-commentators, Martino Musto uh, Dixon lasso they're better than their counterparts on Fox. But I think the, the, the feel of it to me was very much the same. A propaganda piece, no tough questions. Hey, football's back. Hey, the season's back. I don't know how many times Rebecca Lowe football's back. Mm-hmm. Uh, the season's back. This is a celebration. This is fantastic. This is great. Uh, Without those tough kind of questions, you're right, Steve Bauer does ask. And then I have one other uh, quarrel with Oral White. Oral White, I like him uh, and I like the information he brings to a game. But uh, he did more talking during the uh, Brighton-Manchester City game than John Champion did during the uh, Sunderland. uh, No, excuse me, the Darby County. Yeah, Darby County-Sunderland game the previous week, which he uh, called by himself without a co-commentator. Yeah. I mean, it, it was it was incredible. Um, now, maybe it's the first week of the season, and that was the, an NBC broadcast. NBC over the air. We know Arlo White in particular is conscious of whether the game is on NBC over the air. Who, who's watching in the states? But um, uh, it, it was almost uh, as of uh, the, the entire um, the entire broadcast was like one of these podcasts, right? <laughs> Someone talking the
1: whole time. Well, Carlson- it, it was. I mean, that's that's the thing, though, too. So, so on the the Friday game, so the, the kickoff game, the Arsenal against Leicester, which he knows and we know that was on NBCSN. It's not on over the air. So you don't have to sell it a little bit more. You don't have to give as much backstory. You go right in. It took a minute and six seconds before the co-commentator had a, had a word which was Kyle. So a minute and six seconds, I mean, in a minute and six seconds in a football match, a lot can happen. I mean, there's, there's action going on the pitch and he's going through, through oh, his whole like, preamble.
0: that can happen, right? Didn't Arsenal score? And no. All that. Oh, no, no. Well, not quite. <laughs> but
1: maybe, maybe, maybe like about 30 or 40 seconds later. Yeah. But I, I mean, that's been a constant and there's nothing new from Arlo White, but just in terms of this season, um, my patience is running thin in terms of, and he, he hasn't changed at all. I would like to see him change a little bit mix things up a little bit or or nbc bring in somebody different It's just i'm getting a little bit tired of Oliver white after uh, four years and now going into the fifth season one more thing i would add Kartik, is that um lee Dixon i thought was good with his analysis um he's always uh, for the most part spot on uh graham lasso i was disappointed with really nothing in the studio from him
0: well i think he's he's less comfortable i i I kind of noticed that on Sunday also. I think his cadence and his tone is maybe less suited to the studio. Mm-hmm. And I, I I don't think there was anything wrong with what he was saying it was maybe the way he was presenting it. That's the old Brian McBride on Fox uh, issue, which strangely enough, McBride was on ESPN FC last night. He doesn't have that problem on ESPN. They they worked with him, obviously, at ESPN when he came over uh, and made him more comfortable in the studio. But um I think that that's a studio thing maybe and then also yeah. um let, let's consider this they, they, they took their trip on a weekend where they had a lot of auto racing bracketing their coverage and and so goal zone was contracted both days saturday and sunday and didn't have happen at all on friday they had to go right out at five uh, eastern time uh, I think that limited what a guy like was who may be uh, able to elaborate more on his thoughts because he's not as comfortable in the studio he's more of a Co-commentator up in the gantry, uh, uh, was was able to do. So that was maybe another reason why calling the first week was a little bit odd because they didn't have the the, the kind of bumper programming. Match of the day didn't air on Saturday. This Saturday match of the day didn't air until Sunday, right before the, the Spurs game. Right, right or six thirty in the right morning for the the yeah six thirty in the morning. So I, uh, I I think maybe also just. Their, their programming limitations, and we haven't seen a lot of that from NBC. Uh, cer- certainly, they don't have to shoehorn Premier League in the way uh, soccer shoehorned in on Fox and on ESPN in between other sporting programs. But this weekend seemed to be one weekend that was happening. Yeah, and, well, and that was a problem, I think. Well,
1: the other thing too is like post match for a lot of these matches, you get uh, the post match interviews with you I mean hopefully some of the players, maybe a manager, and uh, post match Man United against West Ham, you had uh, Phil Jones for a few minutes. And then NBC had a go, and they said, "Okay, well, we've got an interview with uh, Romelu Lukaku, and uh, you can see that uh, on NBC Sports app." But 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 we've they lost. They even had the
0: issue on. You've lost, uh, it. You've on lost the opportunity. Craig Shakespeare, Shrek, Shakespeare coming on, having I think a very good chat. That was one of the high points of the weekend, uh, and basically, Arlo White's like, "It's." Fine. I'm 5 Eastern, we got to go. Wow. <laughs> I know we're out of time. And I, that's when I didn't realize that I thought they were going till 6, like they often do on Mondays or, or 5.30 at least. And maybe, uh, well, mon- like Monday, when they've had Monday night broadcasts in the past, this was... Friday night broadcast, but weeknight, um, and maybe there would be a Men in Blazers special or something at 5.30, I wasn't sure, and 5 o'clock, he's got Shakespeare with the, with the three of them, and it's basically like, oh, sorry, we've got to go, and I could tell from Shakespeare's reaction, he thought he was doing a longer-winded uh, interview, maybe Leicester City won't send him out next time, Yeah <laughs> <Right>? poss- <possibly. laughs> I think he's going to get one question or two questions, and that'll be it. Yeah, possibly. TVs. That, that wasn't good. I, I missed the uh,
1: Telemundo coverage on Sunday with Andres Cantor. Um, they did have Andres Cantor on yeah. uh, pre-match um, for kind of a discussion, kind of an interview with uh, Arla White. Uh, the, the Telemundo plugs for the uh, the coverage of the 2018 World Cup, uh, quite a few of those in that interview. So they're, they're pushing that hard.
0: They're pushing it hard, and that's smart. <laughs> We've talked about the uh, the... The uh, concerns about Fox that a lot of people have, and uh, uh, Contour is the greatest selling point Telemundo has, right? Even among yeah. English language dominant fans. So I think that that was very smart, and it's obvious they are going to push that all season long. Uh, Contour being at, at Old Trafford was uh, was great, and um, it it it's interesting. I mean, we're going to get to the TV ratings in a little bit, but you're talking about Manchester United driving interest on the English side. Uh, I think West Ham United. Is going to drive interest on the Telemundo side because Chicharito was there this season, and, and we already saw a, a big bump in Telemundo's numbers for mm-hmm. this game. And I think it has more to do with West Ham than. Manchester United maybe you disagree and our listeners disagree No, but i think that's the reason
1: yeah my, my concern though though Kartik, is that with west ham united it's, with that performance and uh, chicharito it's a first game but still really not contributing much at all not
0: getting any touches really yeah. I mean, no
1: service so so i mean once those players start coming back in terms of some of the uh, from the injury it could be that that, that this uh, wave could end pretty quickly if, if uh, west ham doesn't uh, if chicharito doesn't perform the the other thing i would say that i thought was good was um on uh, NBC, under the sports bug, so that where has the, uh, the the score bug? I'm sorry, uh, on NBC, top left corner, where has the uh, the teams and the score line? They were using that quite often more than they have done in previous seasons. So right underneath there, they'd add some facts or some information about about the match itself. I thought that was good, and that was that was definitely a, a plus.
0: Um, They've always been good at. Um that sort of thing, and even uh showing like uh the form of teams and uh, and uh head to head and 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 that sort of thing historical facts they've they've always been good at that, which is something that fox still uh five years in nbc covering the premier League and and interjecting those sorts of uh, little cut, uh production bugs that we uh that we all like uh, they haven't picked up on yeah. they haven't picked up on the use of of the corner very subtle graph gra- Subtle storylines uh, that drive the, drive the broadcast.
1: And then one more thing, Karthik, uh, before I get you to go into your Arsenal Spurs, uh, uh, I was going to say rant, but, but analysis. And and, and that is, is that um, on Saturday, I missed the Swansea-Southampton game. And I'll get more into that a little bit later. But uh, I was on the road. So I didn't get back in, into, uh, into back home until later that afternoon. And I was already okay. I was like, all right, I want to watch match of the day. I want to watch goal zone. I want to watch highlights. What did I miss? Because I missed most of those matches uh, on Saturday other than the early game. And like you said before too, Kartik, the match of the day wasn't available until Sunday. And uh, I was going through... The NBC Sports Gold and the NBC Sports app. Just trying to find any recaps or any highlights. There was nothing, so that was weird. In terms, of, I know why. In terms no, no, the of the talent were, being there, the highlights
0: were all up on ESPN FC. By the way,
1: yeah. Well, the highlights, but I wanted to kind of a. I wanted to see kind of just a one program. Studios, that, A studio, or it could be just just like a Premier League review show that would just have all the Saturday, uh, all all them all together in one package, where I can just watch that and and catch up on everything I missed. And and because the crew was in England, I mean they weren't able to do kind of the match of the day until. I guess the Sunday and then the goal zone, I don't think was on until the Sunday or whenever
0: it was on. But, but anyway, I missed all of that stuff. And so they didn't have, Oh wow. So, so they didn't have even the basic, uh, the, the, even the bridge broadcast between, um, the, the uh, 3 o'clock kickoffs and the 5.30 kickoff. They didn't have that where you, they would have shown highlights of at least all the earlier games.
1: There were a couple of highlights uh, available, so I think there were most of them, but there was bits and pieces. So it was kind of like, okay, here's a goal from um, well, that was a bad example, but here's a goal from one of the games, but that's just the first goal, mm-hmm. and then I'm waiting to to see okay, what was the second goal, what was the third goal? <laughs> they <laughs> did that actually separate.
0: during Goal Zone or, or, uh, or Premier League Live actually, between the games where they uh, uh, I, I was frustrated because is uh, a, uh, a player I've, mm-hmm. I've tipped to be good in the Premier League. That's a that's a Football Manager legacy of mine. <laughs> the guy I've often signed coming out of Liga in Football Manager, and Huddersfield signed him, so I was very excited. Uh, but they weren't showing all the goals. I mean, uh, that that was yeah. Uh, yeah. they would show one or two clips even right. on air. Yeah. Is what I'm saying, not just on the package, not just online, on air. Uh, and uh then going on because they had an interview or they had some other feature in week one i think um i don't know this just wasn't in general as crisp as those april trips um yeah
1: and and, and, and in many ways hard. too i mean in, in the discussions that you had with pierre Musa last week who's the the top producer for um executive producer for nbc sports soccer coverage of the premier league is that uh, i think that he was saying that that um they like this better because they have more time to prepare. They know what, what the games are. They know ahead of time. I mean, there's more preparation time sure. rather than kind of being thrown in
0: you know, on, 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 yeah, in April. Yeah, you know, that's, that's what's so surprising, Chris, because I asked him that question directly, as, as you mentioned. And, and that was his explanation for why they were going the first week of the season. Obviously, they couldn't go the first week of last season because of the Olympics. But first week of this season versus uh, the April, I uh, think there was more lead time, there was more prep time twice as much prep time. They knew what the games were. Uh, The storylines would be established. Although, although, again, transfer window uh, creates this confusion. And then the show becomes, as you mentioned, I think this is maybe one of the great takeaways that that uh, Pierre and his team need to assess for next uh, next go-round is that if you do a show during the transfer window, if you go at the beginning of the season or you go in January, it's going to inevitably be about that more than the games. And that's uh, – I mean, I've, I've noticed that all summer long, ESPN FC, even during uh, Classico week when they're in here, down here in South Florida, uh, uh, in our neck of the woods, it's uh, 15 – it's half about the game and half about, well, Neymar is going and Coutinho might go and Dembele and blah, 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 blah. And That's just um, something. I, I don't. I've been a long, long time advocate for either shutting the window before the season or just letting the window stay open until March. Mm-hmm. But until that's done. The television producers and and talent uh, that cover this sport on television are just going to have to be prepared and understand that that's going to be what drives the conversation if you're doing shows on location at games in July and August and in January. Mm -hmm. That's just the reality, and um, I think that takes away from the match coverage. That's why it may may be better not to to focus so heavily on the start of the season, not to be doing Premier League previews and picking what teams are going to finish in the top four and what teams are going to get relegated because we still have three weeks left in the transfer window. Now it's two weeks, but at the time of these broadcasts, three weeks left.
1: Yeah, everything seemed to be just rushed. I mean, that was the thing, too. I mean, with having the Premier League preview for the season as part of the pre-match for the Arsenal-Leicester game, that seemed to be rushed. And and as they went through all 20 teams and talking about the uh, Coutinho and, and all the different transfer speculation... It just seemed to be a very rushed uh, preview. Rather than having a separate show that could focus a little bit more deeper on, on that, um, they had the SNL intro, which was kind of cute. Um, you mean, it, it is what it is. I kind of laughed laughed a little bit, but but I kind of moved on quickly from that on, onto the actual analysis. But so, Cardiff, what's what's your thoughts in terms of? I'm interested in hearing
0: about about the Arsenal Spurs differences in terms <laughs> yeah, of the analysis. Yeah, this is just there. really this is really interesting. I mean, uh, ESPN FC, they did their previews during the course of the week. They, uh, had all their pundits, uh, weigh in at various times from Wednesday to Friday or from Tuesday to, sorry, from Tuesday to Thursday on where they were picking teams to finish in the premier league. And, um, All of them, uh, with the exception of of Stuart Robson, believe it or not, because he's high on Arsenal now. Maybe it fits its narrative because then if Wenger underwhelms, um, (laughs) he underwhelms, right? And and Robson can can tee off on him. Had Arsenal outside the top four, and and most of them had him six. Um, And and Chaka, Hislop, Stevie Nickel, Alejandro Moreno, Craig Burley, really down on Arsenal. All really high on Spurs. I think both Nickel and... Burley said, look, they think Spurs would win the league if they were, uh, they were uh, playing at White Hart Lane this season. They're not. Uh, but various picks had them second or third. Someone had them fourth, but everybody had Spurs in the top four. So I'm thinking, okay, that's a general consensus. That kind of mirrors my opinion, right? Coming into the season, uh, Spurs are going to finish in the top four. Spurs would win the title. I would pick them outright to win the title if they... They were, if they had an actual home ground this season, um, I know they haven't made any transfer moves, and everyone gets hung up on that. But the, the existing core of their team is pretty darn good, and they've got a manager who who is really good and understands the team. So, I, I, I buy all that. Um, then I watch that two-hour pre-season, pre-match, whatever you want to call it, on Friday on on NBC. And everybody is picking Arsenal in the top four and talking up Lacazette and and these moves Arsenal has made. And and Kyle Martino did have Spurs in his top four, but no one else did. And I thought, well, what's the difference here? Well, two things. One, the NBC team that day was completely embedded at the Emirates. And two, ESPN had spent... Three days, two or three days in Orlando with Spurs uh, during training, and had access to Pochettino and to Hugo Lloris and, and Vertonghen and all, all their star players. So I don't know if there's a, a, a skewer, skewing of perceptions that go on if you're in a network bubble and your network has access to one club uh, in preseason, and then the other network has access to another club as the season starting, or if it's just uh, the genuine beliefs of of the ESPN and NBC teams, but I, it was shocking just kind of the differences of opinion on Spurs and Arsenal and then realizing that the NBC team had been on location at the Emirates and the ESPN FC team, not all of them some of them came here to Miami instead of going to Orlando. Everybody was in Florida that week, but um, and, and spent time with uh, PSG in the real madrid and barcelona here but a a few of the guys dan thomas uh shaka hislop uh etc were in orlando with with pochettino so i don't know if that skewed uh skewed perceptions it makes me
1: think kartik of the uh the example uh that that, uh espn gave us about craig burley in terms of his analysis and when he goes to a stadium what he does i don't know if you remember that
0: yeah oh yeah I i remember it well well, and it is again. I think uh, I had a conversation, an off-the-record conversation with a journalist yesterday. So I'm not going to uh, get too deep into this, but that this is a problem in Major League Soccer because there are so many players that are ex-players that are commentating out, whether it be for local broadcast or for a national broadcast on Fox and ESPN, whose buddies, uh, former uh, uh, player guys they played with or played against, are all coaches or. Are still playing in the league and that skews analysis Craig Burley as we learned from Steve Police and from some of the other ESPN talent um, and from John Champion who would yep. called a number of games with him even back right when uh, after Burley got into commentating uh, 10 to 12 years ago on Satanta and ITV basically hey uh, Craig wouldn't go down into the tunnel he wouldn't go talk to his former player uh to his former teammates he wouldn't talk to these guys he was friendly with in his playing career because he felt like that skewed his analysis and i should mention burley was not in orlando uh he his analysis of tottenham and arsenal were were uh formed without exposure to either team we believe this uh off season just based on yeah how they ended last season and, and what he sees right um and i i think that that's that's actually true that's actually it gives you a more objective perspective. I'm not saying it's a t- it's a tough act, right? It's a balancing act because you don't want uh, former players who have really good sources in the game and an ability to get a wealth of information that that can help guide their analysis and, and inform the viewer cut off from everybody who might do that. But mm-hmm. from my personal perspective, I think that that's uh, a real sign of integrity and objectivity, how Burley uh, conducts himself.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I mean, to me, it's more about uh, Burley in just that one example, and I'm sure there's many others out there, too, that do the same thing, is is having more of a professional stance rather than getting involved in a uh, kind of a personal uh, situation where it is somebody that you know or it's a friend or somebody you played, played with or played against. And that could bias your opinion, no matter if it's you mean commentary, uh or or analysis, whatever it may be. Um and there is a very cosy relationship among some analysts and, and uh talent and and players and uh it's knowing you know I mean how to it, it's a difficult it's a difficult road to kind of trying to balance the two Particularly in England, objective. it's a
0: very it's very much a boys' network in England. Yeah. And I, I I think The ESPN FC show has tried to break through that with a guy like Burley and then also Stuart Robson very openly on the show last season calling out without naming the journalists. But we can all figure out who they were. Print journalists in the U.K. that are very comfortable with Arsene Wenger and and have an agenda to keep him in in the job because he gives them stories. And also he's one of the last old school. uh, I know he's not British, but he's French, obviously, but old school British style managers that has this policy where he's got these reporters he talks to uh, and feeds information to without going through the, the normal press channels, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Robson was very open in saying this is, uh, this is something that was in the British game for years. Wenger still um, st- advised by it, and so there are print journalists who are going to protect him regardless. Um, you know, the, the thing... The, just finishing up on the Arsenal Spurs thing, I find it interesting also because last season, was it last season that they that they uh, went uh, to Spurs or was it the season before? Was last, last season. Last season. Yeah. Uh, I, I think Robbie Musto made very good point on the air. And Musto was the one guy on the ESPN, uh, uh, excuse me, on the NBC studio. Of course, he was with ESPN. So maybe it's <laughs> <laughs> back to those days that, um, but it has been as critical of Wenger as the Burleys and the Nichols and the Hislops and, and, and the Robsons, etc. But he made the point that what he saw in training from Pochettino and how um, Spurs worked without the ball when they lost possession was completely different to how what he saw on the training ground from Arsenal when they lost possession, and um, that little piece of analysis, I think is so important in guiding the Pochettino versus Wenger Spurs versus Arsenal conversation. And for whatever reason that didn't come back up on NBC this week, even though it was talked about at the tail end, of last season. So that mm-hmm. I found that interesting. And that sort of thing is talked about regularly on ESPN. I mean, Burley will say, hey, you know, one of the reasons Pochettino's teams are so good is that when they lose the possession, they, they, everybody, they keep their shape, everybody knows where, what their responsibility is, and they work to win back possession. Whereas with Arsenal and, 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 and um, Burley likes to pick on Ozil, right? Uh, but it'll be like, well, Mets Ozil, you know, he's out of position and Ramsey's out of position and they don't know what they're doing and they just are lazy, et cetera. But it, it is an informative piece of analysis in comparing those two teams. So we've got a
1: lot to catch up on because we missed last week's episode. So uh, in terms of uh, FA Community Shield, German Super Cup, uh, Dutch Super Cup, as well as uh, Turkish Super League, uh, Super Copa Italiana, and, and uh, Liga, much much more. So Karthik, let's let's uh, change path here and let's talk about uh, the championship. So the championship has returned to ESPN three uh, through a deal that we talked about uh, quite uh, quite ex- uh, intensely in one of the previous episodes about how that deal happened. But what's been your opinion thus far about uh, ESPN three's um, coverage
0: of of the championship? Uh, it's been uh, it's been good to have exposure to so many games, and it, I have to admit, I'll admit it right here on the air, and who knows what the case will be three or four weeks from now. I haven't bought Premier League pass yet. And the reason I haven't paid the $50 isn't anything specific to NBC or the Premier League, but I'm uh, English football is is my football. It's what drives me more than uh, I mean, I watch football from all over, but I'm more a fan of the English game. I have now access to four more games a weekend than I had previously um, because of ESPN three, or I should say usually be in which one game. So three more games and um, at least to this point, that's kept me kept me satisfied. Uh, the 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 issue I have had thus far is there isn't a whole lot of, of lead-in and lead-out time. There's no bumper program around it. I think that probably will change once we get a League Cup third round. I'm assuming they'll do something uh, if there's a Premier League versus Premier League matchup or something particularly interesting. I would have loved to have seen Burnley-Blackburn um, this upcoming week uh, being a huge derby. Uh, some sort of coverage around that. But uh, realistically, the expectation would be, let's say there's a there's a draw and Everton plays Manchester United in round three, something like that, mm-hmm. um, that um, well, actually they're both entering the competition in that round. So that wouldn't happen. But, you know, uh, something something like that, that there would be, be they may move the game then to U or ESPN2 and give us some coverage of that. But the the, um, the streams have been fantastic. This is something that um, a lot of people have told me. A lot of feedback I've gotten in the first two weekends of the championship is how good the streams have been. Mm-hmm. How um, uh, for, for people who were used to having to stream uh, BN and not getting good streams or even um, not in love with the coverage on, on television, how, how crisp the streams have been, how little they cut out. Now, I would remind people that if you want a really good streaming experience with BN, you should buy uh, Fubo or Sling. Yeah. But if you don't, um, I can see how ESPN3 is a big improvement. Because I've heard this from about a half dozen people, how it's a huge improvement just in even the presentation because the stream isn't cutting out. It's not dodgy. The picture quality is good. Um, and it, it's like an HD experience. So that's uh, that's that's been a very, very uh, uh Positive aspect, and I just think there's accessibility. Um, you know, and there's so many networks covering sports, there's so many networks covering soccer, but there's just still an accessibility with uh, ESPN, Fox, and NBC that, uh, as, as hard as BN works, as hard as they've tried uh, in this uh, in this um, industry, that they don't have, and just a, a comfort comfort level that people have with accessing products on ESPN, uh, divide, ESPN of uh, uh, delivery mechanisms. Yeah, personally,
1: I think it's one of those things that actually, here's another example of how accessible a league is that is going to cause more problems, if anything, for MLS. Here you have uh, quality streams, which which I agree with you, Kartik, the quality of the streams have been great. Yes, there's been no pre-match other than just a couple of minutes from the commentator, uh, no commercials, uh, no halftime show, but just the raw feed, and uh, it's been great. But also just in terms of the competition level, the games that I've seen thus far, uh, the Sunderland derby games and the Aston Villa games and so on and so forth. Uh, the quality of football has been fantastic. I thought it's been really very competitive and uh, so so on two different levels. Games being more accessible, having them on ESPN three and the quality of football being um, to me at least far superior than than what I've seen lately from MLS. It's it's a very uh, plus a positive experience from the championship. But the other thing, too, with the championship, though, too, is going back to Premier League pass. It is going to make a dent with that, I think. It's going to hurt the Premier League pass because you've got a a league that... uh I mean, it is entertaining and it fills fills those voids where if you want to watch... I mean, how much football can you possibly watch in a weekend? Right, And yes. the, And the issue with Premier League Pass is not so much the game coverage because if you're a fan of, say, I don't know, West Brom, West Ham, uh, Swansea, Crystal Palace, uh, etc., You really have to get Premier League Pass if you want to watch your your team this season because otherwise you're going to miss out on anywhere from probably 10 to 20 games a season. So it's it's a must have. But the issue with Premier League Pass I have now is there's many issues, but one of the issues is just that how much content can you possibly watch? Because the Premier League Pass does offer a lot of the shoulder programming. Um, They have the Premier League news. It has uh, Fan Zone. uh, There's so many different shows that you can watch. But at the same time, there's all these other games that you can watch too. So to me, for the most part, games will always be greater than uh, shoulder programming. And if there's a game on, I'll watch a game. I'll, I won't watch a shoulder programming. If there's nothing on, I'll watch shoulder, shoulder programming. Um, the other challenge with Premier League Pass has been that um, Premier League News and the Fan Zone, which are two programs which are great, uh, they're only shown live. So if you don't, if and it's during... Uh, weekday office hours so it's kind of a i think it's at twelve forty-five uh, eastern time and then it's in the morning yeah. time too so if you miss it live you, that's it even with a gold subscription to the premier league pass uh you can't watch it on demand uh the games itself i mean the premier league pass and i've written uh, a more extensive uh, first impressions uh on com. Which is on the homepage. It goes into a lot more detail, but uh, first impressions are in terms of the game experience. That's fine, and there's no spoilers. I, there's no advertising. I, I, no, I hope.
0: Before, I should just say before you get into that, I hope the executives at NBC read your piece because uh, it yep. circulated pretty widely among the people who would be the customers for Premier League Pass and who consume the Premier League on social media this week. Yeah. So uh, it, continue. It,
1: well, it was people interesting. Were talking about that. Yeah, it was it was interesting because a couple of points I brought up in the piece uh, within about an hour were fixed on the NBC Sports Gold website. So uh, I think either somebody forwarded it to them or, or they're re- reading it. But uh, so if, if on the games itself, I'm, I, I'd say, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a necessity um, yes I'm not happy with it not being everything that we we can possibly want it to be but uh, if you are a fan of the lower clubs from the bottom half of the, of, or the other 14 in the Premier League um, it's recommended for the game side of things for the shoulder programming not so much so far so again it depends what you're buying it for Kartik, so let's move on to talk about uh, what else you've been watching. Anything else that stands out that you want to talk
0: about? Um? Well, I wanted to watch the German Super Cup, and um, un- unfortunately, not unexpectedly, it was preemptive. In, uh, in this market on WSVN for infomercials and um, uh, didn't think to get online and watch it and w- was kind of busy with other stuff, was going to be doing other stuff while I was sitting in front of the TV. So I didn't get to see it, which is um, unfortunate. I'm looking forward to um, the start of the Bundesliga okay. season wait, on, wait. on Friday.
1: Hang on, Carlton. So, so the, the, the Dortmund Bayern game, so the reason you weren't able to watch it locally is because it was on the big Fox and your local WSVN, local Fox, uh does preempted it for infomercials, yes. Okay, okay. And, and uh, from my perspective to kartik uh, on that one, because I've cut the cords, uh, I wasn't able to watch it on my Fox either because um, uh, Fubo, Sling, and DirecTV now uh, on, will only show live Fox games over the air. Uh, if you, if, if it's a local owned and operated, uh, Fox affiliate. Ah. So, so for me, I was able to watch it though through Fubo and they had it on uh, Fox to Were you able to, you could always get rabbit ears for your television and watch it on channel 29 where you live. E- exactly. Exactly. But, uh, which actually I have a, an indoor antenna. I just, uh, I have had it set up, but uh, I've been moving things around. So I haven't had a chance to reset it Which by
0: the way, I think I am going to do this year. I am going to get a pair of rabbit ears and hook it up to one of my televisions, one of my non-smart TVs because for just for these Fox, uh, games, because I'm, realizing I'm probably going to have to watch him on your West Palm Beach affiliate rather than the Fort Lauderdale, Miami uh, affiliate of Fox, which keeps preempting games. Yeah. This has been going on for years now.
1: But, but, but for me though, too, I, I, I didn't miss it because I watched it on the Fox Deporters on, through Fubo, so uh, I just muted the, uh, the commentary and, and just watched it that way. So I, I didn't miss out, even though it was a cord cutter on on that particular one. But, but go, go ahead about in terms of the Bundesliga uh, coming up this weekend.
0: Yeah, so Bundesliga starts this weekend. I'm pretty excited to see um, uh, Bayern and, and and Bear Leverkusen on uh, on Friday and see how the league plays out. Uh, again, uh, we'll, we'll critique uh, Fox's coverage. I, I think uh, they, they've upgraded the way that they present some of these uh, the, these matches with Kate Abdo in the studio, et cetera. Uh, we'll, we'll critique their coverage next weekend and uh, also, quite frankly, critique the level of play, at least from my perspective, maybe not on the show, versus the Premier League, because I was underwhelmed by what we saw week week one in the Premier League, and I'm hoping the Bundesliga provides better football. Maybe it won't provide more entertaining football. It's tough, it's tough to beat uh, entertainment when guys don't mark on set pieces regularly, mm-hmm. and you're getting free headers and goals, um, but I think we might see some better football in the book so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Friday is the opener for Fox. Um, I also watched the uh, the uh, Charity Shield match on uh, on Fox and uh, was uh, was I guess pleased uh, with the coverage. Now, look, I I don't want to. um I mean, Rob Stone has his utility, right? But, um, gosh, I mean, it, it's such an upgrade with Kate Abdo uh, in the studio for, for Charity Shield, for uh, the uh, Champions League-Hoffenheim-Liverpool uh, game, which I'm sure we'll get to in a few minutes, uh, pre-game and post-game uh, on, on Tuesday of this week, in studio for these various uh, UEFA events. I don't know what the plan is for Champions League. They're in their final year of covering Champions League, and I have to say, I was impressed. Maybe they're taking more chances because they're in the final year of their package and they're building into a World Cup, which you're covering. But they were, uh, the pregame was more extensive. They they showed third round qualifying matches on FS1, FS2. uh, And we're taping this on a Wednesday, by the way. So, same thing will happen today FS1, FS2, Mm -hmm. Fox Sport Regional Networks, uh, Fox Soccer Plus, et cetera. Now, is the level of analysis uh, up to snuff compared to ESPN and NBC in the studio? No, but I think it was a little bit better uh, with uh, with Barton Friedel and Winalda uh, yesterday. I, I have to say that there was, um, after seeing Kind of a weekend of Premier League propaganda on NBC. It was good to have when uh, debunking. Look, yeah, the English team can't mark on set pieces, although we know Waldo tends to tends to maybe favor German clubs anyway. Right. But I thought Hoffenheim were the better team, even though they lost in that game. The, um,
1: the big difference, though, Kostic, the, the person you haven't mentioned though is Ian Joy. And and to me, yeah. when Ian's uh, on these broadcasts in the Champions League, I mean, he's able to actually pronounce the the, the team names very well. He he knows the German league inside and out. So he's a great host, and um, Rob Stone still to me is very smarmy, very kind of just, uh, yeah. just very I don't know, just just going through the motions, and just it's it's too clean cut.
0: And they're very, and they're also kind of lazy. I don't think there's much uh, analysis, in-depth analysis, when Rob Stone. This is the thing we noticed during the Confederations Cup. Also, is that we would, crit- would critique. I think we've critiqued for a long time the. the the Fox studio talent and the things they say in studio. And then you realize when Kate Abdo is hosting, the questions are a lot more pertinent to the specific match or to the specific clubs than these general kind of, very lazy Mm -hmm. themes that that Rob Stone tends to direct, uh, uh, the studio team with, Oh yeah, I love Zlatan, that kind of thing. Um, we know he loves Zlatan, but right. That's, that's, that's the kind of level of analysis you get. Uh, and then Ian Joy is fantastic. I agree. And, uh, I've, I've actually made an effort to, um, uh, with MLS live, uh, Check out as many New York City FC games as possible because I, I, I like the way Vieira is uh, is putting that team together. Uh, and then I also like listening to Enjoy. Uh, that's another game I watched this weekend: NYCFC and LAFC uh, with Taylor Twellman and, and and Adrian Healy. Uh, New York. New York City FC is, uh, as far as MLS goes, uh, is one of the better teams to watch. Uh, still not like Atlanta. Atlanta is the best team to watch in that league, and I would put Atlanta up against most teams in Europe in terms of entertainment value, passing quality. I mean, again, relative to the opposition, right? They're not playing the same level of team as teams in Europe, but uh, I think they play football very nicely. So watch that. I watched a little Liga Amekis, uh this week, uh, most notably the Atlas uh, Club America game where. Um, very Very controversial ending. There's been a a theme through the years that America gets calls when they need them, and they got a call, a really dodgy penalty at the end of this match, which was converted and they won. uh, that game. So that, that, that was good. And, uh, obviously, uh, Supercopa, uh, uh, Spanish Supercopa with, uh, with Seb Salazar and, um, and, uh, Alejandro, and Alejandro Moreno. Moreno. Right. Uh, I was about to call him Andres Moreno. <laughs> myself. He wishes. Um, yeah. Um, but, uh, I, th- I thought, I thought the coverage w- w- was very good for that. Um, and it was good to have, um, it was good to have a game on a Sunday afternoon on ESPN, yeah. right on the on the mothership. Of course, uh, unfortunately, the entire takeaway is Cristiano, and 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 um, he's now been suspended for five games. So that uh, that that was uh, interesting, but it was. Um, the I thought it was I thought and I'll let you uh, jump in here in a minute. I thought it was very odd. Um, we saw those two teams in person 15 days earlier. Yeah. And Real Madrid didn't start playing until the 10th or 12th minute. This was a competitive match, mm-hmm. unlike the match in Miami, as great as El Clasico Miami was. And uh, it just seemed like the roles were reversed. Barcelona didn't get off the bus. Uh, even though, yeah. And it was a very... It was it was surreal for me to watch it because we had just seen these two teams play and it play out completely differently, that match. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, plus uh, it's one of those things, though, too, that I think people take a lot of... They look at one match... And then come to some big conclusions, which uh, the storylines after this, uh, oh, yeah, a- yeah. after the Super Copa was like, ah, you mean Barcelona's got is, is going to, uh, I mean Real Madrid is going to run away with with the La Liga yeah, title. Yeah, that was
0: the ESPN FC guys, unfortunately, yeah. right? That was Stevie Nichols saying, oh well, you know they've lost Neymar, they can't absorb, you can't play De La Feu. I mean, it was it was ridiculous. It was just yeah. annoying. Alejandro Moreno,
1: Carthag. Oh gosh, this was this was painful for me watching this game. I mean, the first half was uh, wasn't was was pretty very poor. The second half was, was very good in, in the first leg. But Mourinho, it, it just tries to be too cute. He was he said, uh, what was it, bump, set, and, and spike when uh, PK handled the ball. But he, not only did he say it once, he said it twice. But it's just going on and on and on. just, well, just why do you think they didn't he use
0: her so Go- Gomez on this? I, I, that I was disappointed with. I, I heard yeah. Salazar's voice when they came on air, and I thought, okay, he, it's, it's Gomez that he'd be paired with because that seems to be uh, a preferred pairing uh-huh and it was Moreno instead. He might have been,
1: I, I'm not sure, but he might have been on the ESPN Deporters. And, and, that, ah, was, right, and that was right. one of the things we picked up too when we went to Miami to interview him is that he's the amount of coverage he does for ESPN Deporters, which I, I didn't realize he did that much. Maybe maybe that's what it was. But uh, yeah, we missed him on, on this English language uh, broadcast. We definitely missed
0: him. Right. And I, I would agree with you about Moreno. I, I've gotten used to Moreno. Maybe it's because I watch the show every day. I know what his shtick is. But yeah, he does. He tries to be too cute on air too. Yeah. Um, and again, a lot of it is uh buttons that are pushed by dan thomas and and craig burley that kind of affect everybody's style around them Mm -hmm. Um, dan thomas is really good at pushing buttons actually salazar pushes the same buttons when he hosts similar buttons so uh i would agree with you it was too cutesy but the real takeaway from this is what you said after this match on espn fc in the newspapers on on the uh, radio it's just like well, Real Madrid is going to win, going to win the champions league again. And this is one of the great teams of all time. And Barcelona is in, in free fall and disaster yeah. mode. And so this is one well, leg of a, of a preseason cup. Right.
1: And, and that was actually one thing that Sebastian Salazar said, I think at the tail end of that first leg is that Real Madrid is probably, is the best team in the world right now. And probably one of the greatest uh, teams who ever played. And I'm like, Oh gosh. I mean, yes, yes, they are very good at this moment, but, uh, I don't know, just, it gets, it gets I guess, more hyperbole. The
0: Champions League final, it happened. Yeah. Um, Real Madrid won uh, in going away, as it turns out. But I really think Juventus was as good as Real Madrid last season, in my opinion. I mean, I, I was... Up until the final. When I watched the game together, I was a little stunned by what happened. Yeah. But I don't yeah. think Real Madrid was that heads and shoulders above Juve during the course of European campaign or the Serie A versus La Liga seasons that you could say, oh, they're clearly the best team in the world. They're one of the greatest teams of all time. Now, Juve's had some losses this, this, this summer. Um, They may not be at the same level Uh, again and again. uh, Juve is a big club, but they have trouble keeping some of their players at times. We've seen that um, in the last few years. So, um, but I, I don't know. I, look, Bayern is still is still there. Uh, Barcelona could retool, and uh, maybe maybe one of the English clubs will, will step up. And of course, PSG. Now there there seems to be, and um, we'll we'll get back to broadcast things in a minute. Although this is really broadcast related, there seems to be a desire among a lot of analysts to ridicule PSG and to write them off um, in terms of. Competition with Real Madrid, competition with Barcelona, competition with Bayern. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I just don't think that that's fair. They have Neymar now. They still have a really good existing core. They have an existing core that should have eliminated Barcelona last year. There seems to be a a narrative about that second leg that that ignores the fact that the officiating was dodgy, to say the least. And uh, uh, PSG should be in that conversation. PSG could be every bit as good as Real Madrid this season.
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely, especially if they get Sanchez, too. Yeah, uh, the, yeah, right. So, so the um, PSG match, the, the Neymar debut, that was on uh, BN Sports. Yeah, uh, they was, had R- Ray Hudson it. and Phil Shane on the commentary on that one. So, uh, yeah, I actually watched the first half of that game. That was pretty uh, uh, re- relatively entertaining, but definitely a good atmosphere there. Um, also, BN Sports, uh, Ray Hudson and Phil Shane uh, did the, the Dutch Super Cup, and that was interesting between... Um, what was it it was uh, Vitez and who was it it was it was, uh, was it PSV no it wasn't PSV Oh gosh, Feyenoord, Feyenoord, thank you, uh, Feyenoord, and the the two of them. I'm um, a
0: really good team this year, by the way. Yeah,
1: I I really enjoy watching the Dutch football. Whenever I see it, it's just a shame that, uh, that their Eredivisie still is not on uh, U.S. television or, or U.S. streaming anywhere. But the level play was good for a final, uh, and also with the Dutch league, it's also usually very physical. But I really enjoyed this match. Uh, going back to the FA Community Shield, Kartik, the one thing I do want to mention is. And Fox is so guilty of this and has been for a long, long time. But really, I mean, in the uh, post-match, so right at the end of the game, right right, at the final whistle... Um, Martin Tyler kind of gives his uh, kind of his a- end speech kind of his, his quick summary of the match usually about you know, five to ten seconds in and then Ke- Abdo cuts right into the middle of a sentence and, and goes to talk to I think Warren Barton to give his analysis and they, they did the same exact thing too with the, actually no it was Mario Melchiot that, that went in with his analysis right before the commercial break and then they had the trophy celebration and just seconds uh, after Arsenal had raised the trophy Kate Abdo butted in and then had Warren Barton rattling on about nothing. And I absolutely hate that when they do that. Um, no respect at all for the uh, the commentators there. And looking at um, that Watford-Liverpool match, that uh, early morning kickoff on the Saturday, it was such a breath of fresh air to allow NBC Sports to let the commentary breathe and to let uh, John Champion at the end of the match give his,
0: his excellent uh, summary and uh, what a difference between the two yeah. networks! Yeah, NBC is really good at that. I mean, Rebecca Lowe doesn't chime back in until a minute, and you get the kind of the ambiance from the stadium and 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 the feel after, uh, before, and after a match, uh, after a match in particular. So I think that that's uh, that's a really good point. And yes, Fox Fox has been doing that forever, right? Yeah, oh, um, yeah. since back to since Sokrchen.
1: But yeah, so, yeah, Nick, Nick Webster used to butt in, and Max Bredos back in the day. Um, I watched the uh, the Euro 2017 Women's uh, Championship. Um, enjoyed that. Um, that. That Dutch team was fa- fantastic to watch. Yeah. And in the final, I thought that Jonathan Yardley had improved quite a bit um, since um, earlier this summer where it was kind of a little bit negative on his baseball style.
0: I had it written down on my notebook when we interviewed uh, the ESPN guys to ask about him specifically. I think you saw that yeah. notation, and I never did. Uh, but I, I think uh, I, I watched this final as well, and I watched a, a lot of this Euro tournament on ESPN three, and I, I thought he was pretty good. Yeah, uh, Cat Whitehill uh, was his partner for this game, and she really uh, uh, helped carry him as well. So I, th- I thought it was a very good broadcast. Absolutely, great game too.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I watched the uh, UEFA Super Cup and uh, also watched uh, Besiktas. B- B- Against uh, Antalyaspor, I believe that is the pronunciation. But uh, in in the Turkish Super League, which is on um, BN Sports now, uh, each week there's roughly about one game on, um, and they will be showing kind of a um, a summary, kind of a. Uh, Uh, basically kind of match highlights of all the games from the league uh, usually about once a week but this one at Karthik unfortunately it was the I watched the first five minutes of the Besiktas game and it was just so horrible to watch on on, uh, being Sports Connect reason being is that Besiktas fans were recently banned from their stadium so the the entire stadium was empty except for just a small portion of away fans but to watch that um whether it's on television or being Sports Connect, in, in this example, uh, it just it just sucks out all the atmosphere and all the energy from the game, and it's just like watching kind of a, a scrimmage. It, it was just uh, a poor advertisement for the Turkish Super League, uh, especially now that they're on the back. Or actually, for, for the first time in a long, long time, they're, they're now on uh, US uh, well US streaming. I uh, also watched uh, Supercopa Italiana between Juventus and Lazio on Goal TV. Most people still don't have Goal TV. I watched this one on, uh, through Fubo um, in Spanish language. And uh, that's about it. Carter, anything else that you saw that you want to point out?
0: Uh, no, I'd I, I love to get an, uh, an update on how uh, <laughs> your cord cutting is going.
1: Yeah, so, so I mentioned the, the, German, uh, the German Cup. Um, the Super Cup, I watched that one on Fox. Deporters, no problem there. Uh, the Euro 2017 final that was on ESPN Two, I watched that one on Sling TV uh, on Sling Orange. It had uh, has both ESPN Two and uh, also ESPN Three on there. No problem there. And, um, yeah, so far so good. I haven't missed anything. I mean, I, I was able to log into the NBC Sports app using my Fubo uh, credentials and also tried it with the DirecTV Now credentials, and I was able to log in to see some some of the highlights, what what was available. Not a lot, but um, no problem so far. I haven't encountered any issues, but, um, but I'll, I'll be sure to update the listeners as we go through the season and see if I do experience any difficulties and if I was able to figure out a way to, to get around those. Now, Karthik, let's move on to TV streaming news, and uh, not as much news this week as in previous weeks, but still uh, some important news.
0: Yeah, so this this item is, is about a, a week old, or more than a week old, and there's been a lot of chatter about, about it among MLS fans. Uh, Disney and ESPN are starting their own streaming service in uh, 2018, according to uh, the chairman, Mr. Iger, uh, and there is going to be movies and films and Disney stuff on there. But there's also going to be live sports, uh, Major League Baseball, uh, MLS, etc. And there is a hope, and maybe this is just a hope among a lot of MLS fans since this item came out about 10 days ago, that um, maybe MLS Live will be gravitated to this new streaming service. We will keep an eye on that. But that's, uh, that's a uh, knock on wood uh, real kind of... Um, so-
1: uh, well, I, th- well I, th- I think it's almost a slam dunk, Carter, because I think uh, – so Walt Disney uh, – Extra for MLS
0: Live as a package.
1: Yeah, so Walt Disney Company has now acquired a majority stake in BAM Tech. And we talked about BAM Tech before. They are the ones that acquired yeah. the rights to the championship and uh, sub those to ESPN to broadcast on ESPN3. So um, with this new venture, with this new streaming service that's going to be coming out in 2018, uh, it's, it's very probable that you'll have MLS Live or a lot of the MLS games. Games uh, available through this package I think CarTech too I, mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you have the championship through here too yeah. so, and, and, and also anything else that Bam Tech picks up so they may be looking at the FA Cup rights they may be looking at some of these other rights Serie A will be up uh, soon for, for re- renewal and you might have a package where you have to subscribe to the ESPN streaming package, whatever they call it to be able to access um, most, if not all of those games Yeah. All right. So, moving on. Also, uh, in terms of uh, some news from the TV streaming industry, last week's uh, Match of the Day, so the first broadcast of Match of the Day on BBC in the UK uh, on the Saturday night, had a viewing audience of 4.8 million people. And for those listeners who are not familiar with the show, it's it's, it's a highlights package. That's all it is for the, uh, the day's games that are played uh, in the Premier League. And uh, for most people in the UK, this is the only way to see uh, coverage of their games because most of the games are not on television. So uh, 4.8 million for uh, BBC.
0: Yeah. So uh, the world's biggest football clubs rethink, rethink Facebook Live. Uh, this is actually... Like some other smaller clubs here in the States. Uh, so various clubs, when Facebook Live was launched a, a year ago, I, I can speak to this because we we did the same thing with Forlartal Strikers. Uh, you signed contracts with Facebook for exclusive um, post match uh, pre game ex- extra content right that you just you pushed out via Facebook live exclusively uh, previously you had done it via YouTube or Periscope or whatever you stream um, and the contracts varied in length from uh, six months our contract was like three months but six three months six months to uh, a year now according to um, uh, uh, dig a day. Um, and this was published in late July. None of the the big clubs, Manchester United, Real Madrid, etc., that had gone through this process renewed with Facebook Live, and now we're looking to push out uh, this content via alternative uh, mechanisms, whether it be Instagram or uh, in-house uh, uh, channels or YouTube, going back to YouTube, uh, etc. So uh, uh, that's a that's a pretty big loss for Facebook, you'd think, but it it, it had it came down to money and fees. And um, really also accessibility. I think one thing with Facebook Live that that, that I found uh, is that unless you're specifically looking for something, like when we're, there's a Liga Ameki's game on Facebook Live, I know I'm specifically looking for that, right? Right. And I do a search and I find it. It is impossible to find things. Um, so the numbers were not as high as uh, people uh, uh, thought they would be. Now, of course um, – Instagram is actually owned by Facebook. So, you know, it's just kind of reshuffling. um, uh, It's like a shell game there. But if this stuff gravitates to YouTube or gravitates to other mechanisms, in-house productions for these uh, major clubs, television channels, that's a big loss in content potentially for Facebook.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, Conte, about uh, Facebook and uh, discoverability. is very poor in terms of if you're... I mean, I didn't even realize most of this stuff existed on Facebook. I mean, I'm on, I'm on Facebook. But, for example, uh, Barcelona... So the way it worked, uh, and, and one of the reasons why that uh, a lot of these clubs are moving away from Facebook now and looking at YouTube or Instagram, et cetera, is that, for the most part, most of the clubs were being paid by Facebook. So in the example of uh, FC Barcelona... They got paid $1 million for 10 months of uh, posting videos to Facebook Live. And these are not match videos. These are just you know, kind of clips of the players mean you know, walking to training or so a couple of interviews here and there, but um, exclusive coverage of FC Barcelona, A uh, $1 million. Now that Facebook has decided to not offer the cash incentives to, to many of these clubs, now all of a sudden a lot of these clubs are looking at uh, YouTube and other places to go ahead and post the content. So I think in some ways it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of Facebook having poor uh discoverability and uh letting people know uh that this this video programming is available. Uh but also to the clubs being kind of greedy and saying okay well if they, if not pay, if they're not not paying us, you I mean half a million dollars or whatever it may be, then we're going to move someplace else and go to YouTube and post them there and try to build an audience there. I think the other thing too is that uh, with Facebook having so many users, well, well over a billion users uh, worldwide, um, the, n- the number of views that a lot of these clubs were expecting were probably much greater than what they got. Um, but still, I mean, it's um, I mean they have to be kind of uh, you would think reasonable about uh, the number of views that they could they could get. It's not going to be I mean in the hundreds of, of millions. Uh, it's going to be much much smaller than that. So, Kantec, let's move on now to uh, TV ratings. So, um, a lot to talk about this week. The biggest number that's come out uh, um, on worldsoccertalk.com, and we'll have all the other numbers, too, uh, in detail on the website in the next day or two. But the big number is for Man United against West, West Ham. That was uh, 1 point mil, uh, 1.02 million people watched this game on NBCSN and Telemundo combined. The number for uh, NBCSN was 680,000, and then the number for the Telemundo part of it was 340, uh, roughly, um, but all in all, uh, 1.02 million for that one.
0: Yeah, um, it, it was a very good number, uh, and I, I mentioned earlier in the show, I think West Ham, at least initially in the season, will drive a lot of that Spanish-language uh, number. Now, um, the, the the game that was on the previous day on NBC over the air and on Universo uh which uh, uh, aired at uh, 1230 Eastern time, uh, got a similar number. It's funny how psychologically we're trained. If something is right over a million, we think it's a great number. If it's yeah. under a million, we're thinking, ah, it's not so great. But that actually had about 990,000 viewers, an average of 990,000 viewers. Viewers so are only um, basically the same number. So two good, good um, uh, numbers to start the season for NBC.
1: Yeah, but, but but in some ways, though, too, if you compare apples to apples and look at, say, Brighton Man City which had on the English language over the air NBC was 910,000 people yeah. and then compare that to this the first game that the Premier League, uh, the NBC showed last season on over the air which was Man United against Hull City or actually it was Hull against Man United that one had over, I think it was 1.1 1. 1 million people there so the number of viewers for the Brighton Man City game was down about 245,000 yeah. viewers but at the same time though Karthik, I I mean you're a City supporter but I mean Man United is a much bigger club in the states and is always going to get a bigger number at least for the time being right
0: but of course but of course when you have two big clubs playing each other it it drives things as well so let's compare the NBC SN number on Sunday to Arsenal Liverpool last season which was uh again I I think there were a lot of complaints fixtures are random they're done by a machine and Arsenal played Liverpool It spit that out for very first uh, match day which um I think was a difficult way for both clubs to start it was great for Liverpool And and that game actually ended up being the difference between the two clubs at the end of the season who got into the Champions League (laughs) and who didn't. But Liverpool won that match 4-3, remember, and they had uh, uh, 745,000 viewers versus the 680 for this match. Again, I think it was two big clubs and it was the middle of the Olympics uh, because we saw – That uh, even with uh, some of the other matches this week where the numbers on cable were down because the first weekend last season was in the middle of the Olympics, was being hyped during Olympic coverage. And uh, you and I have talked for four years about the Swansea-Cardiff game in 2014 (laughs) that got this huge bump because it was on right after Olympic coverage.
1: No, no, no. It's because it was (laughs) Swansea-Cardiff. That's the only reason. (laughs) Uh, In some of the other numbers, so so actually for the Premier League, those two games got uh, the biggest numbers for the entire weekend of any soccer game on on U.S. television. Uh, Next came uh, Monterey against Chivas on Univision and Univision Deportes Network combined for uh, 829,000 viewers. The Spanish Supercopa first leg had 570,000 viewers on ESPN. Uh, Chelsea Burnley had 482,000 viewers. Uh, Newcastle Spurs, four hundred eight thousand viewers there, and um, some of the other numbers. So the the, the breakers against the Spirit uh, NWSL game on Lifetime had eighty thousand viewers, which is a little bit less than what they've been getting uh, lately. Uh, the the really low number, the embarrassing number this week, I think, Kartik was uh, LA Galaxy against NYCFC on ESPN two on Saturday. Um, it was a late kickoff. It was eleven o'clock Eastern time which is 8 um, Pacific. I mean, it's a primetime
0: Pacific yeah. and that one had uh, 73,000 viewers. Right. Well, I watched that game, but I guess I was one of the few. Uh, and that's uh, again, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of heartened by that rating to be honest with you, because there's been, I've had this long running feud, if you will, with other people who, who are in, this, in the media in this country uh, who, are, who cover Major League Soccer who say, well, the, the way to drive ratings up are to have strong LA and New York teams and uh, have them on television constantly. And I've always said, I think people go for the ambiance. Show Seattle and Portland as much as possible now. Uh, or Show Orlando as much as possible. Show Atlanta as much as possible. And you'll notice uh, I don't think there's been a single Atlanta United game that's had that kind of embarrassing number when they've been on national television all season or, uh, or, or uh, Seattle games. So uh, mm-hmm. I think again it proves my point okay so speaking
1: of mls let's move on to listener mailbag and we have a a uh, a letter or actually it's it's a tweet it was a long tweet but we we copy and pasted it into here uh, it's from the soccer heretic and he says uh i disagree with points and responses pertaining to the letter read on the august 3rd john champion taylor Twelman episode i realize some tell all people um uh, to avoid MLS because you're complicit. I don't. If you live within 90 minutes of an MLS stadium and that's
0: your cup of tea, more power to you. Tell- by, 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 the, by the way, he um, is referring to some of the pro-rel uh, advocates, and uh, Soccer Heretic is a pro-rel advocate, and he's a reasonable one. And there are a lot; most of them are reasonable, but there are a few that are out there. Um, we won't name names that say, "Well, if you're even watching MLS or talking about MLS or going to a game, you're uh, complicit and you're part of a cartel, et cetera. So you're not allowed to watch in, uh, watch soccer in your town if you have an MLS team. So he's okay. That's what he's referring to.
1: Okay, and then he continues. He says, "I tell people from places like." Uh, Uh, Oklahoma City, Omaha, Wichita, New Orleans, etc. Supporting MLS is not in your best interest because, frankly, it isn't. I disagree what MLS has done for U.S. soccer is wholly positive. It's done great things for roughly 20 individual communities within America, but intentionally harms those outside of those communities as a rule of practice. Number one, 20 to 30 communities does not represent the whole of America or American soccer. Number two, continuing to use the original NASL failure as a boogeyman is intellectually dishonest. The original uh, NASL failed before the proliferation of cable television and the Internet. It failed when there were fewer than 30 cities with one million residents. There are now more cities with more than a million metro residents than there were uh, even with 750,000 in 1985 number 3 considering mls games competitive and entertaining is a matter of opinion uh, many might consider results random and regular season uh, meaningless number 4 mls uh, mls's business model isn't isn't successful by any measuring stick they admit to massive financial losses uh, tv numbers have stagnated for years now and the pod recognizes this by references referencing local failures uh, in ratings. Uh, people outside of the communities playing don't watch the matches, even other MLS fans. Once again, I don't uh, think that people in MLS cities... Oh, I, I don't... Um, I don't know. I don't people in MLS cities to not follow their local team if that's what they choose maybe i i i don't prevent or i don't stop people in mls cities to
0: yeah play. he he's he he doesn't want, he's not saying people in, in mls city shouldn't watch their own team right, their right community team
1: and he says uh but but for myself not living in an mls city or even reasonably close to one i have no reason to watch it i'm not depriving myself of anything i can watch upwards of 30 matches from around the world any given weekend around uh, around the year league cups um leagues international matches tournaments etc there is an absolutely wealth of soccer available to anyone who seeks it out and mostly from competitions you can uh find um a lot more easy easily to follow the premier league pass is cheaper with better content than the the, uh, mls live platform there are also still more free matches through mbc uh network of uh, uh networks there all right, Karthik, a lot to take in there. Um, yeah. What's your initial thoughts on
0: this one? Yeah, I, I tend to agree with with him on on most of these points. I think um, what MLS has has done is it's it's segregated. Uh, the cities that have major league soccer from those that have quote minor league teams or lower league teams a- a- as weaker soccer markets, and I think what what you've seen is the market respond with people outside of those markets, and those markets until this year included Atlanta, the place with the world's busiest airport, a place that hosted the Summer Olympics. Uh, it still, as of this moment, include uh, includes Miami, which uh, is the center of the fourth largest urban area in the country if you use urban areas rather than MSAs to determine size of places. Um, what it's done is segregated people in those places away from Major League Soccer and said, well, Columbus is a major city, major league city. But Atlanta until 2016 or 2017 is not um, right. So right, right. That, 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 I think it's, it's turned a lot of people in those large markets towards other soccer viewing options and um, segregated based on that. I, I agree on the point on the NASL. I would I would uh, add another layer to this. Uh, And I think MLS had to battle this initially as well. Uh, There is, there was, and still is a bit of lingering hostility towards the sport among journalists, among sports media, non-soccer media, uh, among lay Americans, if you will. And I I think the NASL, once things began to go down the chutes in the late in 1980 and 81, uh, culminating with the league's collapse in 1984, um, uh, yeah, that, that was uh, a big part of it. And, um, and Americans not being sophisticated about the sports, not sport, not knowing how to broadcast the sport, not knowing how to film a soccer game. All of those sorts of things played into it. That played into the initial, I think, problems MLS had. MLS almost went out of business in 2001, as we know, uh, was was an hour away from being wound up. And that had a lot to do with the hostility and the way games were broadcast and, and commercial breaks and all these, all these odd things, clock counting down, etc. So I think that that's a big part of it. Um, Three, considering MLS games competitive entertaining is a matter of opinion. uh, I think uh, that is correct. I think uh, he's right about the results being random and the regular season being largely meaningless. I do think there are a lot of quality games in MLS, there's more quality in the league than its critics give it credit for, uh, but there are also some real stinkers, and there's also, I think, o- overall, even when there's a quality game, the game may not mean very much, right? It's, yeah. it's entertaining, but it, the game has no context. Right. Um, MLS business model isn't uh, successful by any measuring stick. Uh, we'll let people like Stefan Simansky chime in on that. Hey,
1: yeah but, but but to me to me I just want to chime in here I think there's two mlss I think there's the MLs that is in your local market which if yeah. you have that team I mean you're very thank- you should be very thankful because you I mean it's great to have local soccer and then there's the MLs on TV now the mls on in your local market um, the nearest team to me is three hours away uh, it's been 16 years since I've had a team that's been nearby uh, I would love to have an MLs team in my market where I could take my my wife and kids and go for a, a saturday night uh, entertainment and you I mean watch the match have a great night out that does not exist so for me mls is on television and going back to what the soccer heretic says i mean soccer fans sports fans are a lot more sophisticated uh, now there's more choice of any leagues from around the world than there's ever been you name it i mean nice. there's a- absolutely almost every league is available and the level of competition and the level of entertainment value watching those leagues,
0: um, MLS kind of ends up maybe, I don't know, sixth or seventh in, yeah, in, in, that, yeah, in that top I, ten I table. Think this, is, this is important too because there's so much football on that um, the viewing audience is more sophisticated and I think a lot of people Around MLS and a lot of the apologists that make excuses for the league and for U.S. soccer in general. I mean, I, I think this soccer heretic, I think, disagrees with me on this. But I extend this to the U.S. men's national team. I actually think MLS is more entertaining than watching uh, that that garbage product that the U.S. Soccer Federation puts out uh, as a national team. And then you have uh, journalists who who, who uh, feel like they have to wave the flag for for the U.S. Uh, uh, just kind of overselling what the with the product. But. Um, I, I think that there is a sophistication among the audience, because there's so many games that are on, where you can watch a match and say, well, this isn't entertaining, or this doesn't have any meaning, or this is just not very good, and that includes, you say that there are two 2 MLSs, that includes people in MLS markets. Uh, I've said this over and over again on this pod, there are so many people I know in MLS markets that watch their club, love their club, because it is their local club, like I worked for an NASL club and worked for the league, and uh, my local club was an, is an, was an NASL club, and, and same thing for people who have USL clubs, etc. Uh, but then they don't watch the league. Other than that, because they don't find the league entertaining, they're they're bonded to their local club, just the way a f- supporter in England would be bonded to a League One club or a League Two club. Uh, some folks in Lancashire are bonded to, to to Bolton or Accrington Stanley or Preston North End, but they're not watching the league as a whole because. Um, they're not entertained by it. And at the end of the day, most of the teams make the playoffs. And if you don't make the playoffs, then and if you're not very good, there's no need to watch any other matches. Right. So because uh, you're not going to get relegated. You're not watching other teams. You're not competing with other teams. Right. So um, well, well, I think well, that well, also plus, impacts it.
1: Well, plus when we spoke to Taylor Twellman, what a couple of weeks ago now, too, he said he says he says you guys know it. I know it. But the MLS season doesn't start until August. That that is when kind of it really heats up in terms of like, teams going for the playoffs, trying to uh, to make it. So you've got March through you know, you know what, like almost six months, five months of um, the season, which is practically meaningless. There really has no narrative to, really big reason to watch it. Now, if those teams were in my area and I had a team locally,
0: then, yeah, I would go to this games. The other thing is that MLS has an excessive number of player moves in the middle of the season compared to other leagues. It's like, let's just, for Premier League fans, let's say it's a January transfer window and each team is moving out three or four or five guys and taking in four or three or four or five guys and those guys are all playing. Mm-hmm. Now, think about that. Why would you why, why would you be engaged in a team from August to to, to Boxing Day or to New Year's if um, four or five of your contributors are going to leave? And, and there's just so much player movement within Major right. League Soccer in the but, middle of the season. But it's, it's ridiculous. Well, it's
1: not even the middle of the season, though, Conte. We're near the end of the season. You mean, well, yeah, it'd, yeah. It'd, be like, it'd be like in the Premier League if it Well, because was, uh, they have to
0: align their windows because, right, right, because right. it's
1: the European window now. So that's—yeah. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's another season. issue. But it'd be like in the Premier League having a whole bunch of—having the transfer window happening in, in March— and then all of a sudden, those moves that you make in March are going to have big implications on April or May in terms of where the club stays. This, this is up.
0: why, I I'm big on ProREL also, but I've t- told ProREL advocates, woe down, there are other issues, including to me, calendar. Calendar is yeah. prop, maybe even a bigger issue than uh, uh, promotion and relegation. It, yeah, MLS teams were making moves up until, what, two days ago? Three days ago? Mm-hmm. And um, it's the end of their season. You're, you're correct. There is a window that shuts eventually. A secondary, or it would be yesterday, it would be the fifteenth, the um, MLS, what would be the equivalent of the January window closes on August fifteenth, but that is is runs until August fifteenth because it's meant to align with the European transfer window as much as it can, and unfortunately, that means you've got player movement in what would be the equivalent of March thirtieth in in the Bundesliga or the Premier League. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and the issue that MLS has is that again, local markets is fantastic, but it's such a big country that it's almost impossible to serve, you mean, the entire nation with local soccer. Uh, so the current system is, is broken, in my estimation. And then on the television side, you had Don Garber, what, three or four years ago, complaining that there's too much soccer on television. And, and that, to me, um, the amount of soccer that we can watch or choose to watch, that is uh, MLS's number one enemy, really, because... Um, that That's what's holding the league back in terms of the TV ratings, is that people have so much choice, they're making choices elsewhere th- than MLS. All right, Carter. let's move on to our feature topic of the week. And that is uh, regarding a conversation you had with uh, Howard Webb recently, talking about how MLS is using VAR differently than other leagues um, and other um, uh, I guess uh, then FIFA actually too around the world. So the Bundesliga's using it. Uh, FIFA's been using it for the Confederations Cup, and uh, we've seen it kind of there slowly. Uh, that's right. And the Dutch league too. So what did you learn and what can you share with uh, our listeners in terms of, um, what, what we need to understand about this and what may be some of the impact or implications, um, on, on the
0: television experience? Yeah, we just got done kind of beating up on MLS. Uh, but I want to thank major Leagues Hucker for inviting me to, uh, uh to a, uh, seminar with Howard Webb where he walked through VAR and, and, uh, went down to that and, and, uh, had about three hours of teaching from Howard Webb and then some one-on-one conversations. I had a long one-on-one conversation with him afterward and was very, very revealing, very educational for me, not just from a uh, from a covering television and major covering MLS standpoint or covering world football, but also just from a refereeing standpoint and understanding the art of refereeing from the best in the business, right. Or the best in the business recently until he retired as a referee. So for those of you who don't know, who are premier league fans and uh, may not watch major league soccer, uh, Howard Webb has, uh, has uh, moved here to the States and um, is, uh, is running the VAR program in, uh, in U uh, S soccer. And, and it was implemented first in USL on a, on a trial basis in uh, 20 in the latter part of 2016, uh, the first game actually done was between two um, MLS reserve teams, so Orlando City v. and New York City, New York Red Bulls 2, and then um, on into Major League Soccer as of two weeks ago. We've uh, only had two weeks two match days of this uh, VAR being fully implemented, which kind of, again, coincided with the launch of it in, in, in Germany and the Dutch League. Another reason why calendars being misaligned are a bit of an issue, uh, because I'm sure um, MLS would have liked to have started at the beginning of the season, but Webb didn't think that they were ready and uh, wanted to go through the process. And they, they actually VAR'd a lot, uh, most of the regular season games this season. This is an interesting point. Uh, coming into the, the actual launch of it, but they didn't Implemented during the games, right? But they were they had the, the officials reviewing um, and going through the process. Um, now, this one of the things that um, was really apparent from um, this uh, conversation and the seminar was that. Uh, Webb has watched the Confederations Cup. Uh, He spent time in Germany. He spent time with IFAB. uh, Obviously, we all know he's ref World Cup finals and and Euro finals and was the best Premier League official for many years. Um, Having a referee in charge of this program kind of changes the perspective. So his default position... Um, which will be the default position in all MLS games, is that the on-field decision by the referee is correct, Chris. So that, that right there takes out some of the confusion and some of the elongated stoppages you're going to have, uh, which might – Push a, a game to two hours and five minutes, and outside a broadcast window. And I think maybe part of this is—I'm um, not sure how it works in in Europe. Although I think broadcasters are probably as as finicky about it, right? In Europe, where you want to you want to fit these soccer matches, football matches within a two-hour window, right? You don't want. People maybe even DVRing the match, and the match, uh, and it's still stoppage time, and their DVR ends, or and then it bumps the next program. So um, I think that's one of the considerations, which I have to say as a viewer and as someone who analyzes the sport, I appreciate. Uh, Webb said on average they check nine moves a match with VAR, but. They're only reviewing 0.36 per match uh, based on their test phase, which, as I said, uh, ran until about two weeks ago. So uh, on average, less than one review a game, one review a game. There are nine reviews a game, but one stoppage a game. which I think is different than what we're seeing in Holland and Germany. Um, They're sending their feedback to IFAB every week. Uh, They've got more cameras for national games than for regional telecasts, so um, there's more to watch and more to kind of analyze. This is important. Um, He said that if there are two camera angles and you you don't have conclusive evidence from those two camera angles, he's instructed his officials to not, not go beyond that. So we're not going to have one of these situations. And I think we see this in American sports where there's like there's eight camera angles and the referees are watching all eight and then talking amongst themselves. He doesn't want that. And then another thing that's important um, is that um, and, and Webb was kind of honest with this about to me, is that um, there will be a situation where, um, Perhaps player behavior changes. This is an un- unintended consequence because MLS, unlike uh, uh, what we saw in the Confederations Cup and, wh- and how it may be implemented in the Bundesliga, once a play is over, if the referee doesn't stop and review, let's say when, the, when there's a dead ball and uh, the uh, opposing team takes a throw in or takes a quick free kick, uh, it, that's done they're not going to go back and stop the game and review it. And of course we saw in the confederations cup confusion about that. Right. right. So, um, Webb conceded to, to us that maybe, uh, it'll change player behavior guys who, um, if something, if they, if there was a free kick incorrectly awarded in some, in players minds, maybe they take a quick free kick instead of setting up, um, uh, setting up and, uh, trying to put a shot on, on target, maybe to play a quick, quick ball just to get on with the play. So that's, um, that's going to limit the stoppages also. Um, Um, We'll talk a little bit more about specifics, about uh, bookings and stuff in a minute, but I want to say that um, I've been a skeptic of VAR, and of course Howard Webb is the best in the business, so I guess if anyone's going to turn your head, maybe it would be him, but I – will. From the presentation, I really uh, have a lot of confidence that we might see it implemented differently in Major League Soccer and that we're seeing it implemented differently in Major League Soccer without um, some of the the problems we saw during the Confederations Cup. And uh, I I had mentioned that during our Confederations Cup uh, uh, podcast, during that period, that I I held out hope that MLS would get this right. Uh, Week one went very well. We have to mention in week two there was this bizarre call when Kaká put his arm around uh, aurelian colin who used to play for with him for orlando city now plays for new york red bulls uh in kind of a playful manner mm-hmm. at the end of the match in like the 94th minute stoppage time new york is winning the game 3-1 game is basically over where they send Kaká off now you could you could say well if you put your hand around the player uh, uh you, you raise your hands you're putting yourself in jeopardy but this to me was a red flag because um, one of the things Webb talked about with our uh, with, with our group and then with me personally after is that he doesn't – the default position uh, for him is the referee's position uh, on the field because they get the feel of the game. They get the circumstances. They understand that. If you, you have guys, replay officials in a truck, uh, on site but in a truck – and actually in Germany, they're not on site. They're in a central location in Cologne. But um, they don't quite get the feel. And um, the, the – f- the feel of that game was that that was a playful moment from Kaká. He got sent, given a red card uh, by the replay official and uh, by the, uh, the, the the VAR, by the video assistant referee, and will miss Orlando's game against Columbus this weekend. So um, that was a red flag for me, but I have faith that that's a teaching moment. Howard Webb's going to go back yeah. and talk to that, that VAR I think... and tell him – don't do that again yeah
1: I, th- I, th- I think that one was more of a common sense thing and i think it's one of those things that uh if um if the guys in the truck went through the rule book and said okay you mean hand on face contact is is a red card yeah. look, see see it says that and, and, and meanwhile kaka it was just a playful, put, put his hand in his face kind of just kind of just messing around type of thing so so there's going to be mistakes that happen and i think um hopefully that I'm, I'm sure those will be corrected in the future in terms of uh, minimizing those as, as much as possible
0: Yeah, I I think uh, something that that Webb spent a lot of time with us explaining because there was confusion about this. And this is important for every viewer who watches these games at home Um, after a reversal of a call. Let's say there's an offside call, and then after that, uh, there's a dive, there's a dive, and there's a or, or there's a penalty, and uh, that's wrongly awarded, and there are cards issued. Those cards are rescinded, and, and everything that happens after is rescinded, in, with the exception of unsporting behavior. So if uh, uh, the uh, a player goes and shoves a referee and gets a red card, he's still getting the red card. That's not being rescinded. Okay. Uh, after the the foul or if there's some uh you know gets in the referee's face and gets a yellow that's not being rescinded so uh they will rescind tactical fouls, if you want to call it that, but they will not rescind unsporting behavior, which is another way of protecting the referees right and um, so, and
1: so, so Conte, what happens so in the, in the Dutch super cup there was uh, and actually Phil Shane pointed this out in real time, which he did a fantastic job of doing it. but what happened was that one of the teams um, had a, a, a an incident in the penalty box that wasn 't called, so was it a foul was it not a foul? The play continued. The, the other team went all the way to the other end of the pitch and scored a goal, but then that one was called offside. Um, and then the referee came in for, with a video assistant referee, and he went back to the penalty decision and actually overruled his decision and called a penalty because there was a foul on the incident. But what would have happened, and actually Phil Shane pointed this out too, what would have happened if, uh, if, if the other team had gone back and had scored the goal, but it wasn't offside, where is the, re- the whistle blown? I mean, where do you stop, stop and, and do you re- take the goal
0: back? So this is the different interpretation here. Um, so, uh, no, you don't take the goal back. Uh, Howard Webb made it very clear that they consider, quote, the start of an attacking move is how we defined it. So in this case um, – the test player was found in the penalty area They're aggrieved. he actually showed us a, a slide that demonstrated this which was i think from um a, a premier league game actually if i remember was it was a, it was a uh, no sorry that was a different slide there was a slide he showed us from a man city swansea game which both you and i would appreciate hmm. uh, maybe you wouldn't have appreciated no. it as much as it was a city goal <laughs> um but um this i think may have been from uh maybe it was from a dutch game but um basically where um there was a there's a situation where there should have been a penalty awarded, but when the ball is cleared, that's the start of a new attacking move, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. So the replay official, once that's not called, the replay official in under Howard Webb's direction in Major League Soccer can only uh, review from the point where that attacking move begins. What uh, he okay. has clearly defined as an attacking move. So in this case, they would not go back and do that. I, um, I, 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 guess, the cha- I guess the challenge... I, and that... I, 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 maybe uh, people will not like that because they'll say, well, then you're not getting all the calls right, but it's again, and issue. Issue of viewability and uh, and flow of the game that he's concerned about.
1: I, I guess the challenge, though, too to to Kartik is uh, is consistency. So if MLS has a certain way of, of uh, using VAR, then you've got the Divisi, then you've got the Bundesliga, then you've got FIFA. Uh, I would hope that all of them would be consistent across across all of those technologies. So that otherwise, the view is going to be cons- uh, even more.
0: Uh, yeah, and they're not right. right they're, they're, they're they're absolutely not right now. I yeah. think. What the way Howard Webb views it is that this is a work in progress. Uh, these are the first three large leagues that are implementing it. Uh, FIFA did it for the Confederations Cup. They're going to. Uh, they have a year of input from these three leagues. As he said, we're sending everything to IFAB every week to uh, create a template for the World Cup. And perhaps uh, starting with the World Cup in 2018, there'll be a, cons- uh, a consistent way this is, uh, this is implemented uh, across the board and as more leagues uh, implement VAR. But for Howard Webb, it's very much, and those of you who've watched English football for years know how he referees a match and how he would take control of a match. The interpretations I heard in that room from him were very... Very much his interpretations of how he officiated games, and he's passing that on to VAR. So MLS's implementation of VAR will look very much like the way Howard Webb officiated matches, which is to let matches breathe. They're not going to be constant reviews and constant um, stoppages. Now, in Germany, it appears like it might be different. So reconciling those two things, I have faith will happen. Uh, at some point, And, I, and I, again, I think that the, the web MLS model is better, at least from where I sit. Um, but yes, it will be inconsistent right now. If you're watching an MLS game uh, uh, one uh, on a Saturday evening and then you're watching a uh, uh, Bundesliga Sunday morning, uh, you might see differences. You will see differences in how this yeah. is implemented.
1: But that's a great point, Kartik, Too, especially for TV viewers and, and those watching uh, online streaming. Too, is that uh, we're going to have to get up to speed on the different technologies in terms of how they're interpreted uh, in these different leagues and competitions, so that uh, we as soccer fans are, I you mean, know, know which kind of set of rules that they're using. Uh, so a little bit of education on, on our side, and, uh, and I'm sure the TV broadcasts oh, will uh, do right. that. Right. So,
0: so, so this was a, this is an important point. The Swansea Manchester City game we were talking about was a goal that was scored by David. Silva where Aguero, uh, appeared to have crossed the end line. Um, and he didn't cross the end line. So basically they would review that and, uh, or the ball didn't, wasn't entirely over, um, the goal, goal line. Um, when, uh, when Aguero played the ball back to Silva and Silva scored. So that would, that, that review would be a a goal for Manchester city. Um, (laughs) <laughs> so that that was the talking uh, point from right. that game. But, so he uh, what Webb did is he went through these various scenarios had had clips from 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 different leagues um mostly MLS but stuff from um from Germany and England and uh, and we had well, one or two from Italy uh that we went through and kind of he taught us how the referee would h- handle this and one of them was like that that Dutch Super Cup, where basically, sorry, there should have been a free kick here, but this is the start of a new attacking move. Uh, this this uh, team, might feel aggrieved, but the way we're interpreting it in in our league is um, that play is over. Uh, replay official review official. You can only take from this point out, uh, forward. Um, which, which is challenging, though, too, because because that one in
1: that in that Super Cup was such a fast breakaway. It was yeah. kind of the the penalty incident happened, and within. Like like two seconds, the ball was already down towards the end of the, uh, end of the pitch, and uh, they had scored the goal, which had been called offside. So it doesn't give a lot of time. I mean, the the challenge with this one, Karthik, is that uh, in certain situations you could have a riot. I mean, if if you mean uh, you mean in terms of key decisions where it could go against the the home team. Uh, in some ways, there's a lot more pressure on on the match referees in this one to get it right, uh, with no excuses. But I don't know. It's a different. Diffi- I mean, it's not going to happen all the time uh, in this scenario. But. Um I think they have to be careful about kind of how this is implemented because uh, I mean, I could see, see situations where fans getting extreme, extremely upset
0: uh, or feeling it is unfair but uh, yeah hopefully- and, and, and uh, Webb conceded that that there were going to be fans that would still feel like there was injustice and and unfortunately uh for those fans the way he has decided to implement it in major league soccer um, I, we're going to get some of the. We're going to get more of the calls right, but we're not going to get them all. We're right. not going to be able to review everything and get them all right. Now, it's possible a year from now, FIFA will say, "Hey, we like we like the way that it's being done somewhere else, and you need to go back and review that." And we're going to ha- end up having two two and a half hour games, but I, uh, which I don't think most viewers want. Um, although there are fans that seem to want replays for everything, right? There are those <laughs> out there um, that want to review every call, uh, but. The way Webb uh, is viewing this, I think, very much is that he wants the game to breathe. He wants the games to flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wants to uh, to keep this uh, minimal and just use it in specific cases where it, it, it is an additional tool for the officials, but it doesn't become the, the uh – you don't know, become the 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 game itself, which right. is unfortunately what we saw happen in New Zealand, Mexico, and uh, to a certain extent Germany, Chile, in the confederations mm-hmm. cup.
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm going to play devil's advocate on this one, Kartik. So, uh, in terms of MLS's VAR uh, strategy, first question I have is: um, What about goal line technology? Why hasn't goal line technology been implemented when when this has?
0: Um. That's a really good question um, why they haven't done something that I, I think is probably cheaper on it. i mean i don't know i don't know the economics I'm, I'm assuming gold line technology is is probably cheaper to implement than this uh, but that's a that's a it, uh, a good it uh, may, it's quicker
1: yeah it may end up being that, that actually the goldline technology is more expensive um, the estimates oh. i heard was i think two hundred and fifty thousand dollars per per stadium uh, oh, wow. and then in terms of this program um, I mean, mean, other than kind of... You don't need a lot of technology on this one. I would think it's more about uh, man hours and man hours are probably not that expensive for uh, kind of these, these, referees sitting in a truck. Well, and stuff. It, it,
0: that, that's true. But uh, one thing Howard Webb mentioned, and, and I can attest to this because I've had these frustrations working in the game in this country that uh, he feels like the officials in this country ha- have not got enough high, high level games. A lot of them are doing 30 NASL or USL games before they get to MLS. And the guys in the VAR truck even less and that they're doing mostly college and, uh, um semi-pro games local games and that that's uh uh he wants to get a situation where you have enough experienced officials to do both of these these functions at a high level and, and we're not there yet so right. um it is it is manpower and it is it is maybe manpower that isn't as quali- well qualified as uh as we would hope they would be but they'll they'll get there
1: yeah i, I still think that mls should have line technology and i believe oh, it's coming at some point in the future but still uh to my to my uh, to my uh Estimation. I mean, they're behind the eight ball on this one, and they're ahead of the eight ball on
0: the uh, the actual. Um, well, I have bar. to say though, when it comes to this, this is this is uh, an interesting dynamic because watching after the Premier League implemented goal line technology in 2013, it became pretty tough to watch Major League Soccer, and for a little while, UEFA competitions when yep. they, uh, because uh, they didn't have uh, this this kind of just this reassurance in your mind. Now that MLS has VAR. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that's going to affect my Premier League viewing at times. And I will tell you for for NASL, uh, who's not part of this program, uh, it's going to be very difficult because there are a lot of complaints about the officials in, in in NASL. Some of them are the very same officials that we have in Major League Soccer. And there is this effective kind of check of accountability um, in, in uh In MLS, that there isn't in NASL. So I think VAR, goal line technology, it affects how you, a viewer, also perceive what league you want to watch and what league you have confidence in. And um, not having goal line technology had that did impact my confidence in my in MLS and in times my willingness to watch MLS, uh, mm-hmm. honestly.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my, mine too, in terms of uh, just feeling that you I mean when it, Teams got cheated out of a goal, it's like this is not fair. I mean this is a, a
0: representation representation of the league itself. And yeah, there have been some in MLS some really bad calls on that, that yeah. front in the last few years were um I, I think I can think of a few yeah the Orlando yeah. game I remember with the ball was the Orlando Philly game yeah. where Philly had a yeah, Philly got absolutely robbed in that game. That was last season. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at that game but yeah there have been there have been several examples like that
1: so so why can't um how would webb's team use var for goal line technology
0: um well um you know i want to be careful how i say this uh, i get the impression they might really Yeah, I get the impression that um, that that those are reviewable, that uh, it hasn't come up yet in the first two weeks, but that um, uh, they would be reviewable. But again, reviewing it um, still uh, denotes a stoppage of time Mm -hmm. and um, in the Premier League. You have a chip that goes off, so it's not the same thing. But yeah, I think um, the impression I got, and maybe we'll find this different in a in a couple of weeks. The impression I got is that um, it, it will be those those very well could be reviewed.
1: Okay, and and not to put you on the spot, Kartik, but but I, I wasn't invited to this Howard Webb uh, symposium, so I'm asking you the questions, which is which are tough. But my last question, Kartik, is um, why is this called VR? Why isn't this called VAR? To add more complication to all the acronyms out there, VR to me th- uh, says virtual reality. It doesn't say uh, video re- uh, review. Um,
0: I don't know. Uh, because we have... Uh, what we've done in, um, in Major League Soccer and in... Uh, NASL and the USL, and this, is, this was an implementation of Peter Walton, another former uh, uh, Premier League official. He had, he had all of our uh, linesmen, they were called linesmen and lineswomen, renamed as ARs in the u.s i don't believe they're are they in britain are they called uh, assistant referees uh, yeah they are called AR. so well,
1: okay. well it'd be assistant referees but but uh, i mean the u.s loves to use acronyms but
0: right. they're assistant referees right so i think the confusion between ar and var um might have okay might be the, uh, the reason but, for yeah
1: that. yeah yeah that's definitely plausible that definitely
0: makes sense all right Kartik, anything else before we uh wrap up here no that's uh that that's about it. I mean I have to say my faith uh in this I have a lot of faith in Howard Webb uh I know Premier League fans love to beat up on him, particularly um, <laughs> fans of uh, Liverpool who seem to think he was a Manchester United uh, <laughs> you know, right. was a Manchester United fan, which I can assure you he's not. Yeah. Um, but I have a lot of faith in him and the presentation gave me reassured me. And I think the reason Major League Soccer invited me was that I had been a skeptic on this show and very publicly and, you know, uh, uh, in social media and in articles I've written. So I, I appreciate the invite from MLS and, and they knew uh, he, he was a guy to help turn me around. But mm-hmm. I, I like the way the direction they're going MLS but again you, you're, the most important point that we probably made in this discussion is what you said the consistency between leagues and there is no guarantee that the Howard Webb vision for, for uh, VR or VAR will be the way it's implemented across the board right. uh, two three years from now it, it might be a completely different interpretation we're having con- where we're having constant stoppages where we're going back and we're, uh, we're reviewing plays after another goal was scored and taking that goal away and going and, re- and re- re-legislating the whole game, which uh, Howard Webb made very clear he does not want. And that's not how it's going to be implemented in Major League Soccer, not, not not how it's being implemented. But maybe that's where we end up going because, you know, fans are never going to be satisfied. And they're going to say, well, now that we have video replay, why did this happen or why did that happen? And now, oh, that, it's still a sense of injustice. Mm-hmm. Um, my view chris and i think you agree with this is if we if we take the human subjective part out of officiating and we make everything robotic, there's a lot less to talk about and football is a lot less interesting of a sport. <laughs> honestly.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it's true. It's, especially, I mean, I mean, the referee incidents, I mean, every single weekend in the Premier League, there's always, actually, maybe this first weekend there wasn't anything major. This
0: might be the first time. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> We're not talking about referees. But but in previous seasons when we've done the um, the, we, the weekend analysis, so the review show on, the, on on this podcast in a different uh, version of this one. Well,
0: I guess Chelsea fans are complaining about referees, but um, uh, that's true.
1: Uh, that's it's true. Michael
0: Oliver was a referee in that game, and I think he got
1: all those calls right. Yeah, it was fair. But but then again, the Chelsea fans might disagree with us, but I thought that was fair. But yeah, no, it's definitely kudos to MLS for being a trailblazer with this technology. Um, My concern is just about implementation, and with Howard Webb at the steering wheel, uh, I think they should be okay, but it's not going to be perfect. There's going to be mistakes along the way, as we've seen already, but it's also going to, there's been some uh, incidents where referees missed a call, and the the video assistant referee, the VAR, uh, did correct it so um to me, that's that's in ways to make the, the game better and fairer. Uh, that's a
0: plus. So it's uh, so hats off to MLS and, for that. And let, let me uh, actually say this about MLS in general. I we, I have often been uh, maybe more than anyone in this country critical of MLS for being very insular and very very nativist and and not prom- uh, not going out and getting the best talent they can from abroad. Uh, this is a very notable exception to that because I don't think there's anyone better from my perspective uh, unless you get Kalina out of retirement bring him in, Luigi, uh, right. yeah to do this yeah and they got they went out and absolutely got the best person uh they could um, in, in the global game from my standpoint now again that's maybe me being kind of watching more british football english football than anything and uh, perhaps there was a referee um in in other other parts that that could do the same thing but i think that this speaks highly of MLS's. Should- this particular issue that they went out and uh, brought Howard Webb over when in so many other cases they've just promoted from within and been very insular in their thinking.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it helps too with Howard Webb uh, being able to speak English. So
0: kind
1: of the best English language um, referee or former referee out there to bring him in. So, so yeah, and, and I think in many ways too, I think MLS was probably looking at this thinking, okay, how can we be a trailblazer with this technology um, rather than, say, following everyone where, say, goal line technology—what, two to three years after it's been implemented elsewhere—then uh, bringing that up, bringing that online. So maybe this is a way for them, looking from a PR perspective too, is trying to: how do we see ourselves as a leader? And, and this is one way that they're, they're 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 there. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Bundesliga. We had the, with the German Super Cup. Just one more thing to add, Kartik. In that German Super Cup, too, the, the VAR system shut down. It, it stopped working. So uh, was it Kimmich was uh, offside, yeah. and they missed it. Um, so because Wednesday will go back to the replay because the, the the technology wasn't working. So it's not perfect by any means, and, and hopefully uh, the Bundesliga will learn from
0: it too. Well, here, here again, um, I know we're, we're going in circles here. and we, we need to wrap up, but. A key distinction, and Webb was very, um, very, very adamant about this. A key distinction between the way they've implemented it in an MLS, which I guess costs more money, and it's funny because MLS is cost conscious at times. But they have—they're uh, sending everybody to, to match sites in Germany. It's one central feed in one central location. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe if there's another problem like there was in the in, in the in the Super Cup. Uh, Germany will revisit that decision. But – and, of course, it's uh, much easier to get around Germany, right? Train travel and um, it's a smaller country than the United States. So maybe they'll revisit that decision. At the same time, perhaps it was good that that happened in the Super Cup and not in an actual league game, uh, which, of course, kicks off this Friday. And they're able to correct that.
1: Yep. Yep very interesting stuff indeed Kartik. and th- thanks for sharing um, all the insight on that and, and attending the, um, the the actual meeting to, to share that with the, the listeners so, so thank you everyone for listening uh, you can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday every episode is released on SoundCloud YouTube Stitcher iTunes Audioboom and worldsoccertalk.com if you like the show share it with your friends on social media and uh, be sure to give us a review on iTunes we'd appreciate it uh, very greatly Kartik, what should they do? Enjoy your football. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers.